0: You're listening to Downhill Theme from Slalom, released March 1987, composed by David Wise. Welcome to another episode of BG Mania, a video game music podcast. I, of course, am your host Brian, and joining me on the show this week, host a very good music, a VGM podcast every month with Shoot Kapal. Once again, it's Bedroth.
1: Hey guys, it's me. I'm back. Looks like you're not you're getting rid of me.
0: Back? Nope. You're <laughs> stuck here, man. You keep thanking me for bringing you on, and I'm like, dude, you're the co-host. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> you keep doing. It.
1: <laughs> yep, it's. <laughs> this week, I think it finally started kicking in. I, I introduced myself a couple of times as the host of three different podcasts. Which, yeah, man, it's a uh, it's crazy. I um I was a big fan of the uh, the McElroy network for a long time. Uh, my brother, my brother okay. and me, and they have a couple of other shows. Uh, the Adventure Zone. I know Kyle's big, a big, big fan as well. Yeah, and uh, the middle brother Travis uh, McElroy. At one point, I think he was on like six different podcasts, and then he had started a couple of more for other people, and. Um, I always thought, man, that's crazy. I can never do more than one. And now look at me.
0: <laughs> and now look at you now. <laughs> but it's fun. It's fun. Well, of you course. make it enjoyable. It's all that matters. It's all that matters. It's all that matters. Real quick, if you'd be so kind, though, head on over to Apple Podcast or whichever app that you've chosen to listen to us on and drop us a quick rating and a review on there to help our visibility in terms of search results. It does help more than you realize. And remember, we are on Patreon now, patreon.com forward slash RPG era. You can head on over there, check out our tier, see what we're doing. If you feel inclined, you can toss us a couple dollars each month. If not, continuing to listen each week works wonders as well. Uh, and obviously, special shout out, thank you so much to current executive producers, JexX and Zenku. Bedroth, before we continue, I do want to take a moment here. I think it would be an error on our part not to mention the ongoing situation currently happening over in Europe. Uh, We did mention this on the week's episodes of Blood and Destroyers and Max Level as well. I know we have several listeners, especially for BG Mania, that are over in the Ukraine and in Russia and we here at RPG Era do stand united with the Ukraine against this horrific act of violence and war being orchestrated by Vladimir Putin. If you're listening to this from anywhere else in the world and you're in a position to do so, look up ways online that you can financially help those over in the Ukraine. And most importantly, and I know this is usually a pretty clean show, but most importantly, fuck the war.
1: Absolutely. And Bedroth, I know you had more. some
0: stuff to say too.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that about about Ukraine. I, um, I definitely... Uh, my my in-laws um, have some connections over there. My father-in-law has actually done some mission work in Ukraine a few different times and uh, is in touch with people there who are, fortunately for them, not really close to the fighting. But, of course, this kind of thing affects the whole country and the whole world. So um, my, my heart does go out to them. And uh, a little bit closer to home, uh, for anybody who did not see, um, my, uh, my governor, Greg Abbott, recently... Uh, passed a law that basically encouraged people to uh, whistleblow on their um, on their, their neighbors and on uh, clinics in the area who were treating trans kids and uh, call for investigation into that sort of thing as child abuse. Um, I do have trans people in my family who I will not specifically name for their privacy at their request, but um, yeah, that's uh, obviously a huge step back for... Trans rights in a state that is already just, um, just not a very friendly place for LGBTQ people and. At the same time, Governor Rick DeSantos of Florida, uh, just within a couple of days, um, or, or the Florida Congress, rather, uh, passed uh, the the Don't Say Gay bill, which limits just what teachers can even talk about in classrooms regarding the, the reality and the history of the LGBTQ movement and LGBTQ people. And... Um, I uh, could not be more opposed to these kinds of things, um, just both both politically and personally. Uh, this is just a huge overstep of government power that uh, limits the rights um, and privileges of um, not just people, but specifically young people. And it just it makes me sick. So um, well you're uh, <laughs> to
0: take such a big step backwards,
1: it does. And. In two states that were starting to show some promise toward moving at least toward the middle politically and are now just backsliding. It's, it's really upsetting to see. But yeah. So, yeah, while you're, um, while you're taking the time out to uh, fuck the war, you can fuck oppression here at home as well.
0: <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. It's what it comes down to. It just... I mean, it sucks that we have so much going on. And obviously, like... The situation with ukraine is a much bigger threat and a much bigger deal but they're both equally equally huge in their own right so
1: oh yeah yeah um and if um you know if what we can do here can bring anybody a little bit of a little bit of peace you know in in whatever they're going through then you know we've done our job so
0: that's what we'll try to do i know um you know, we, we did put an episode up earlier this week, the one for Radio Hour. Hopefully that made it up on Monday on the 28th, so that way it was still relevant for February. <laughs> uh, I didn't mention anything there that was recorded last weekend before any of this really, you know, was crazy. Right, so, yeah. Um, I didn't want to make any edits to that just for that. But this episode should post at the end of the week if all goes according to plan. And uh, yeah, like I said, I know we have a lot of listeners. Well, I know for sure we have a lot of listeners in Florida and Texas, but yeah. it's pretty crazy how many listeners we actually have in the Ukraine and in Russia. Like, we actually have a pretty big listenership in several European countries, which I think is really cool. Yeah.
1: And definitely, you know, if you know anybody who is uh, from Russia or lives in Russia, this is not the fault of the people, you know? No, um, this, is, this uh, is a Putin and war, so, 100%. And 100%. So, be kind, you know. Uh, be kind to, um, to fellow people. It's a, it's it's always it's the people in power that always do this kind of thing. So
0: absolutely. So let's try to let's try to let's try to bring a smile. Let's try to uh, you know bring some positivity into the world with a composer whose music I think is wonderful. It is. I love so much episodes. of it is really
1: upbeat. And um, and even what's not is usually pretty pensive, pretty uh, not pensive, uh, pretty, um, pretty relaxing, pretty peaceful. Zen. That's the word I was looking for. uh,
0: Yeah. Yeah. so. So as you know, every quarter here on BG Mania, we do focus on a particular composer. And for Q1 of 2022, we're going with David Wise. And I've been excited to do this episode because we have played so much, (laughs) (laughs) so much of his music here on the podcast in the past, but there's still such an extensive catalog. And I really, really appreciate the playlist we put together for this episode today, because while he may be known for Donkey Kong Country, he's not just Donkey Kong Country. And we have so much to showcase from that on this particular episode.
1: Absolutely. And yeah, that uh, that first track that you picked uh, was a really nice play-in. Um, I think you said that was yeah. title and end game music for... Uh- yeah, so
0: title theme, downhill theme as well from Slalom, which was his first ever composition. This did release in March 1987 here in the States on the NES. And, you know, just a downhill ski game. Um, actually, kind of fun for its time. A, a pretty enjoyable game. But the soundtrack was always, you know, one of the appeals to it. And it's fun seeing David Wise, you know, kind of what he became and, and the music that he really became synonymous and known for, going back and checking out his first work on the NES, which you have a block coming up, which I'm really excited to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, but But getting back to, like, some of his early NES work, it's fun to hear some of, like... The themes and the intricacies that he did apply to his later music, kind of start taking shape even in this early stuff as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just uh, that that upbeat, um, sort of kid-friendly style uh, that he brought back in things later on, like uh, like Donkey Kong Country, and then later on like Ukulele, things like that. It's just lots of lots of fun stuff and lots of rocking stuff as well.
0: Absolutely. So we will mention David Wise was born September 13th, 1967 uh, over in the UK is over there with uh, with seven. That part of the world you know, mm-hmm. can't all be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. We have such a big listenership in the UK. It's, it's fun. But um, I've always been a big fan of his work and I know you have as well.
1: Yes, yeah, all the Rare guys just, um, I, I always enjoy listening to them. Of course, Grant Kirkhope, the other big one, but also, you know, Robin Beanland, Evelyn Fisher, Graham Norgates. And um, what I didn't realize before we started getting ready for this is that he was the only composer and musician at Rare from 1985 until 1994. So for almost 10 years, it was, he was basically running the show. It was just him. Um, yeah. Musically. Yeah. Which is why I think he was such a big influence on some of the other ones when... Uh, and really Donkey Kong Country was um, was a big part of those other people coming up. Um, Robin Beanland and Evelyn Fisher, of course, joined him on Donkey Kong Country, the first one. Graham Norgate joined him um, the next year on Donkey Kong Land for the Game Boy. And then Grant Kirkhope's first gig at Rare was adapting... Dave's work for Donkey Kong Country 2 to Donkey Kong Land 2 for the Game Boy. And so a lot of these other rare names really started out under David Wise's wing, the same way a lot of Nintendo composers did with Koji Kondo around the same time.
0: And I actually thought that, um, you know, it's kind of impressive that he never even intended to go into the video game industry. Yep. He was just working in a local music shop demonstrating the Yamaha CX-5 music computer to who he didn't know at the time, Tim and Chris Stamper, who, you know, would go on to eventually form Rare and have a close relationship with Nintendo. Um, they offered him a job based on his knowledge, <laughs> which is kind of cool. Yeah.
1: It's something to say for just to, you know, just doing the best you can at your current job. And who knows what opportunity will find you, you know,
0: there's hope <laughs> for us all. There is hope for us all. Look at Dan. He got a new job working for doors, doing something different with doors.
1: Yeah, there you
0: go. <laughs> you know,
1: I actually recently made a lateral move at my job as well. And it's just uh, because I, I was doing what I was supposed to do where I was and they saw what I did and were like hey you could probably do this other thing too
0: so (laughs) yeah there you go like you said that's the best way to do it that is the best way to do it but alright man well let's keep this music going you have an entire block coming up here with just NES music I'm excited for this
1: yeah I am too and I've got some stuff to say about it but you know we've uh We've talked quite a bit, so let's go ahead and let the music play, and I'll talk a little about why I picked these particular tunes when we come back.
0: Starting out, you'll be listening to City from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, released September 1st, 1989, composed by David Wise. Up next is Stage House from Beetlejuice, released May 1991, composed by David Wise. Up next is Ernie Magic Shapes from Sesame Street 123, released in 1988, composed by David Wise.
1: That was a block of NES work from David Wise. First, the city theme from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, followed by the house stage music from Beetlejuice. And finally, Ernie's Magic Shapes from Sesame Street one 2 3. Uh, Kind of a nostalgia sandwich here. Yeah, <laughs> and, um, nice
0: block of music. So, you know, going back and, and talking about the city theme from Who Framed Roger Rabbit... I never played this particular game on the (laughs) NES. I don't know if you actually did. I'm I'm a huge fan of the movie.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, the movie is super great. Um, I I go back and watch that um, pretty often. And the game, I poured so many hours into this game when I was a kid. And it's kind of similar in some ways to Dick Tracy on the NES. I don't know if you ever played that. Um, now, Dick Tracy, I played a lot of on the NES. Yeah. OK, so Dick Tracy could be a little bit, um, I guess, hard to uh, follow sometimes if you didn't know exactly what you were doing. It was really oh, easy to yeah, just kind of yeah, butt up against a wall and just get stuck. Um, yep. But it was still <laughs> fun, you know, to go around and kind of do what you could do and uh, just drive around and find out what was going on. Roger Rabbit for me was was that for a lot of the time, for a long time I never got past the city area and then I realized that I was playing a mystery game and so I would um Basically what you you did, you controlled Eddie Valiant, um, uh, the cop, and Roger would follow you around. And you would go into different buildings and talk to people and pick up clues and items. And then sometimes to get somebody to tell you the clue you needed to move on, you had to give them a certain item that you could find somewhere else. Um, Occasionally, you would get chased by the Weasels, um, who worked for Judge Doom. And if they captured you you would have to tell them a joke and then pick the right punchline to make them laugh so that you could escape. Otherwise, they would kill Roger and you would have to start over. Um, And (laughs) so you would move to different areas and eventually you got to uh, the country and then you got to Toontown and you would go fight Judge Doom. And I I only beat this game once without a game genie. But um, there was a game genie code that basically made you invincible and gave your punch like maximum power without you having to charge it. And yeah. with that code, I I beat it several times. But it was this was a lot of fun. <laughs> and this is probably the most memorable track of the game. All of the music is nice, like it sounds fine. But uh, in isolation, this is the one that I could probably listen to the most. I just love that lead synth, that sort of trumpet kind of kind of uh, instrument. And right. Wise does that really well. Um, I didn't hear a lot of other composers use it, but Wise uses it quite a bit.
0: It's such a happy sounding track, too. Like, it's good ex- exploration music if this is if that's what you're doing within the city. It is, it's yeah. It's good this, this music, the, music for This is kind
1: that. of the overworld um, music yeah, in the city. It's
0: good for that. It really is. Yeah.
1: And then you'd have a different tune when you went into a building, or into the Ink and Paint Club, or when you were driving. But uh, yeah, this is the 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 tune when you were walking around the city. So,
0: good stuff. Really good cool stuff.
1: stuff. Um, so I owned Roger Rabbit. These next two games I only ever rented, and Beetlejuice I only rented once because I did not care for this game. It was a platformer, and it was just not fun. <laughs> But the music was really cool. Um, did you ever play this game? Do you have any memory of this?
0: I played it once. I never did finish it, but I remember getting pretty far. I just remember it being really difficult.
1: This is another one where the um, the movie, of course, is just excellent. I, I didn't Absolutely. listen to enough of the soundtrack to hear if he tried to do anything based on Danny Elfman's work. Uh, but this is um, it's really kind of more along the lines of Naoki Kodaka, uh, I thought. Which is interesting because Kodaka, of course, is well known for Batman, which is also based on a movie Danny Elfman composed for. (laughs) Um, uh, But there's, you know, an element of of darkness and mystery, but also a little bit of that sort of bouncy, mischievous feel that I think Beetlejuice as a movie kind of had in this track.
0: And as a character, for sure. Oh,
1: yeah, for sure. For sure. And this was um, again kind of three distinct parts. I really like the the middle section, sort of the B section of this one. Uh, I think it's the longest loop of the three that we just played, and yeah. um, and just a really really cool, um, really cool track that shows kind of some of the decay that um, that you could have where where you can play a sound and have it sort of echo and get quieter as you know as it fades out. Um, Wise did a lot with the uh, with the different sort of tools that you could bring to the NES on this track.
0: Which is really cool to hear, and not a lot of people took advantage of as much as he was able to, especially right. with certain sounds.
1: Yeah, you really hear it with um, with guys like uh, like Naoki Kodaka and David Wise, who worked on worked on the NES for really the entirety of its lifespan and worked on a lot of games on the NES. Um, even some of the big names like Koji Kondo, he worked on the NES for basically its whole lifespan too, but didn't work on as many games on the NES as some of these other guys did.
0: So. Right. Right. Was very specific to Nintendo releases. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And Nintendo, I feel like, also had a pretty tightly controlled uh, sound um, that they Absolutely. wanted their games to have. Whereas some other composers were free to sort of experiment a little bit more. And, of course, Wise, coming from the Western tradition, would have had a different sort of set, set of skills that he brought to it and a different sensibility absolutely you you said you actually um uh are really familiar with my my third pick
0: i am i have played (laughs) this game so much dude and i know you did too and i want to say frank even picked a track in a previous episode because this is not the only sesame street uh, sesame street game that i played the crap out of on the nes there's that other one too uh, there's two of them, and, and I know I used to rent them both all the time. I do
1: think I remember seeing another track from this game on your episode list, so... Most likely. Yeah. Most yeah.
0: likely, yeah. <laughs> um,
1: but this one, I just... I was going through David Wise's uh, discography um, for the episode, and this this track just jumped right out at me. I, I rented this game a lot. Um, never owned it, but... Uh, I, I distinctly remember um, images from the game, and this track just popped right back into my head. Well, this
0: game had so many mini games within it, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm there was thinking of the one, right one, right? Because again, there I, was two. I think so. Yeah, there was this one, and then is uh, this, this one also the one that had, had one, the mini games? There was one with Cookie Monster, one with the Count, of course, um, and then one with a uh, one with Big Bird. And the Big Bird one is the one I think I remember most vividly. I don't remember exactly how you played it. I there might was a be mixing Grover, it up with the other Grover game There was a Grover game too,
0: right? <laughs> there was one with like Grover in a in a in a spaceship or something.
1: That might be from right? the other one. I don't. I, I don't. I don't know. I think we might be getting a mix Damn it. up. You know what? I don't we, know. We, we might have to do a. Uh...
0: Honestly, don't know.
1: We might have to do a, um, a focus on, like, preschool games that we grew up with.
0: <laughs> that might be fun. I'm going to pencil that down.
1: And then we can, That's a g- can set this to uh, set the record straight. That's,
0: yeah, preschool <laughs> slash early education. Yeah. How about that? Cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <And then>, um, <laughs> And Putting it on the
1: list. This one was, uh, I like this one because it's it's a really short loop, but you don't even really notice it because of how seamlessly it it starts back over. Um, this is a really, really cool, very tight piece of music.
0: Yeah, I didn't even realize we hit the loop at first, and I was like, oh, wait a second. This is only like a 29-second loop, but it just flows so naturally together. It, it's really well done.
1: And it's kind of like, almost like Tim Fallon on Pictionary, um, and... Uh, um, on some of the other, you know, games like this game didn't have to have music this good. Um, when no. you're making a game for you know, a little mini game for kids, it, you don't really have to put this much into it. But um, but Wise really was not uh, he wasn't holding back here. And um, that work ethic that we saw actually got him the job at rear uh, kind of is is continuing, as you hear, is NES work.
0: <laughs> yeah, which is super freaking cool, man. Super freaking cool. And I know we have more. From the NES later on in the episode, do we not? I think you have. Um, I actually
1: don't. No, um, no.
0: One of them's the Genesis, and the other Super Nintendo, huh? Yeah.
1: Now they are from games that were also on the NES. Well, but correct, I, I correct, a, but not the NES versions. I did pick yeah, different versions. Yeah. Um, but so I'm that's it for our NES fl-
0: block. That's actually it.
1: It is. Um, I'm excited though for one of your next tracks because I almost went with a couple of Game Boy tunes from David Wise. The um the there's this one called Sneaky. Snakes that was really nice and yeah. the Battletoads game for the Game Boy I actually think sounds better than the Battletoads soundtrack for the NES um he I did do picked, some
0: really cool stuff with the Game Boy sound chip yeah but I think that's because it's so similar to the NES sound chip
1: it's similar and I think it actually has one extra channel of audio yeah uh, if I remember which made it a little bit more versatile and of course you could pan on the Game Boy which you couldn't on the NES because of the uh know the headphone jack and hip tanaka when he was helping to develop the sound for the game boy really wanted that panning to be be one of the uh, one of the aspects of the system so
0: yeah so my my coming up block here kind of goes all over the place i do have a game boy track i have a track from Star Fox adventures which started out on the n64 but you know eventually became a gamecube game also then we're cool. coming pretty recent all the way up with uh ukulele and the impossible lair yeah so this this block goes all over the place but it's pretty good stick around we'll be right back Starting out, you'll be taking a listen to track number five from Monster Max, released in 1994, composed by David Wise. Coming up next is To the Planet from Star Fox Adventures, released September 23, 2002, composed by David Wise. next is the main theme from ukulele and the impossible lair released october 8th 2019 composed by david wise Talking about first what I I guess is called just track five in the game. I, don't, I didn't really find any officially named tracks for Monster Max, and there's not even a really a, a ton of information on on the game itself. Uh, it did yeah. release in 1994 on the Game Boy, an isometric style game, but the the character, at least in the art, is this like. Bulldog, yeah, almost right monster. with with a horn mm-hmm. with a horn on his head. Yep, and he has a guitar and he apparently likes to rock. <laughs> <laughs> that that would appear to be the case. <laughs> this entire soundtrack is is very similar to to what we listen to here with this particular track. It's very raw, you know. and It has that like you mentioned how it does have elements of like battle toads, specifically in the bass. I think for sure. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah, just a general sound. It's kind of got that almost like like butt rock kind of feel to it, and yeah. um, then. Uh, but you can also hear, I think, a little bit of um, the fact that this was released around the same time as Donkey Kong Country, because some of the um, like Hot Bop from Donkey Kong Country 2 and things like that. Uh, there's a little bit of that in there as well. So
0: absolutely, absolutely. And I think this. Yeah, this is definitely the only Game Boy track we have on the playlist today. So I'm glad it's on here. Um, The entire sound, like I said, the entire soundtrack is really fun and I listened to a majority of it, but something about this particular melody that is kind of, it pops up a few different times, but I just really, it just hooks me, man. It's just really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: This was really nice sort of, I think, bridge between um, NES and some of what else we're going to be getting into.
0: Yeah. It should be a lot of fun. So, the middle track there is from a game that I know a lot of people don't really have a lot of fond memories of, uh, Star Fox Adventures, that originally released on the GameCube September 23rd, 2002 here in North America. Like I said, it was originally started out as a Nintendo 64 game, before it did become a GameCube game. But, I've always been a huge fan of Star Fox. Like, I like... The SNES, the N64 versions of Star Fox, and I was ready for this Zelda-like take on Star Fox. And honestly, I do feel like it was a good game. I know a lot of people don't think so, and the reviews didn't really show that. But the game I was a teenager. So I mean I I don't it's not like childhood fondness of it when, when this came out. I mean I was in high school when this came out. And I love the crap out of it. (laughs) I remember staying home from school to play it once. It was around the same time that uh, Animal Crossing on the GameCube, because they both released around the same time in that like late 2002 time period, I believe. And I just remember, I want to say I stayed home sometime for like one or two days just to play both games. I thought they were great.
1: Yeah, I... um... I'm kind of. Um, it's a shame I didn't get around to this game. I came home from college the summer after the GameCube came out, and a buddy of mine and I rented a GameCube, and we got three games. We got um, Smash Melee, Sonic Adventure 2, and Star Fox Adventure. And we started out with Sonic Adventure 2 and really enjoyed that. And then we put in Melee. And it did not leave the GameCube until we took it back to the (laughs) rental place. (laughs) And so I missed out on Star Fox Adventure. Um, I am not hard to please with video games or really media in general. Don't think I I would have been disappointed in this game. It sounds like something I would really enjoy. Sounds like a cool evolution of the Star Fox formula. I know a little bit about this game's development. It started out as a game called Dinosaur Planet um, that Rare was going to do. That was what
0: it was going to be on the N64, yeah.
1: And then Nintendo wanted it to be a Star Fox game or wanted a new Star Fox game, and so those two things kind of converged into what this became. But it sounds like a cool evolution of the formula, and um, this track is also a cool evolution of the Star Fox sound. Still very much sounds like Hachime Wakai and Koji Kondo's work on the earlier games, but also takes it in a direction that is kind of appropriate for the adventure game style that that it adopted.
0: Yeah, it gives it a more epic, bigger Grander feel, I guess, to, than what you're north, you know, used to expecting from Star Fox. Mm-hmm. But it makes sense because they were trying to put it in this Zelda-like, you know, big, op- well, not open, but more open than Star Fox had seen at that time um, in this world. And I do think it worked. And you know, the soundtrack there is some decent stuff in there. It's not all impressive, but... It's
1: not, but there is some really no, impressive stuff. There um, really we is, We played a couple yeah. of things on, uh, on our show as well. There's a remix of one of the levels uh, in... Um, one of the games that Shookapow plays a lot, uh, Super Smash Flash 2, um, a fan game sort of extension of the Smash Bros. universe that has Crystal in it from this game, and on on her stage, there's a, um, a remix of one of Wise's tunes from this that's just fantastic, and the original is really nice, too. Kind of a wintry tune, if I remember, but I don't remember exactly what it's called.
0: Yeah, there's some, there's some really good stuff kind of buried on the soundtrack. You just it's not all impressive so you do have to kind of sift through it to find the really good stuff but when you do find it it's really good it's worth listening to
1: Shugapow has um, um, popped his head in here and uh, what did you say the name of it was? Uh, Shackled Snowhorn was the remix in Smash, Smash Bros. 2 I think it's just like Snowhorn Plains or something okay and adventure and do you remember who um who did the remix for that was it Chernabog? Uh, I think so Yeah. okay Yeah, I know he did a lot of the remixes for that one so thanks kiddo How go to bed perfect <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh man, but how about that last track from ukulele? And the Impossible Lair.
1: That last track was so fantastic. Ukulele and the Impossible Lair. I mean, both games really have great music, but Impossible Lair had, um, you know, with David Wise and Grant Kirkhope coming back, um, just Mm -hmm. really, really powerhouse soundtrack. Great stuff. And a fun game, too. I need to get back into it and
0: play a little more of it. It was a really special soundtrack, like you mentioned, with, with both of them coming back together to do something like this. And I really do think that, you know, I think we've only played one other track from Impossible Air on this particular podcast in the past and I think it was the, uh, the wintry level I think it was on a winter type episode if I'm not mistaken but something about this main theme, the guitar that's there, the different instruments that he does use especially as it gets a little bit later in it's just you mentioned it's wholesome and it really is it sounds like it could almost be the start up to a, a kids TV show almost <laughs> yeah
1: yeah, it's. It reminds me of another game that I think you're going to bring back in in a later block. That again, both Kirkoop and Y has worked on the uh, the Viva Pinata series.
0: Absolutely, and, um, yeah, I do have one from the, a lot. the 3DS version. Yep, or the, the the DS or whatever it is. Yeah, but yeah, I do have. This, this uh, reminds
1: me a lot of the a track Viva Pinata sound.
0: Hundred percent, hundred percent. Which, you know, I don't think we have anything from Baseline Viva Pinata or Viva Pinata Trouble in Paradise, but those soundtracks also really well done.
1: Yeah, listened to it a lot when I was putting together my um, playlist for the Grant Kirkhope episode that I did late last year. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, this just but yeah, this was really good. And um, I tried to look up some specific um, like performer credits because I'm wondering if that might be Grant Kirkhope on the guitar. I know he plays guitar on a lot of stuff that uh, that rare does and then after he left on you know stuff that uh these other games based on earlier rare properties did but i don't know if that's actually him on this one
0: did you find a breakdown of the the people that they're crediting on particular instruments because i don't see anything
1: yeah I, I didn't i found one for um people credited for composing particular tracks but not in anything breaking down particular instruments so
0: yeah it's always cool when we can find that type of information it's fun to see who actually does what,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and this was really cool because, like, like um, I mentioned, I have not actually played Star Fox Venture. Um, I have played a little bit of Ukulele in the Impossible Layer. Never even heard of Monster Max before this episode, um, but yeah, hey, neither. My um, my approach to this because I had to narrow it down a bit because why is his Compose so many games is I wanted to focus specifically on games that I have actually played. There is one exception um, that's coming up in this next block, um, but I played the uh, original game this was based on. So it's, you know, it, we'll let it slide, we'll let it slide. <laughs> on this personal rule that I made up myself. <laughs> so I'm excited to hear the stuff that you brought because you kind of went into areas that I, I didn't let myself go into for this one. <laughs> so
0: yeah, I'm getting to be th- and- and and, and and especially with, with the block I have a little bit later, it's definitely different. Uh, I have two tracks from the same game, but that's because I couldn't pick between the two. So I put them both on here.
1: Yeah. And I did actually <laughs> listen to that soundtrack as well because it looks so different from everything else he'd done. So I'm looking forward to that. But
0: Nice. Nice. But-
1: for my upcoming block, though, um, I'm really excited. These are some games that uh, I think series that Wise is more famous for. And so this will be kind of the, uh, I guess, the fan service block. But i um, really excited about these. Why don't we go ahead and get into them and then I'll talk about them more when we come back.
0: Starting this block out, you'll be taking a listen to Enchanted River from Donkey Kong Country 3, the Game Boy Advance version, released November 7th, 2005, composed by David Wise. Next is Wookiee Hole from Battletoads, the Sega Genesis version, released March 1993, composed by David Wise. Closing out this block will be the title screen from Battletoads and Double Dragon, released December 1st, 1993, composed by David Wise.
1: Little block there was Enchanted Riverbank from Donkey Kong Country 3 on the Game Boy Advance, followed by the Wookie Hole second stage from Battletoads for the Genesis Mega Drive, and finally, title screen music from Battletoads and Double Dragon for the Super NES.
0: What a block.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Lots of three different sounds here (laughs) Um, from three different systems and a nice, nice little showcase of what each one could do. Um, Wise showing that he's really at the top of his game. No matter where he's working, he's going to bring his best.
0: hundred percent, dude. hundred percent. So going back to Donkey Kong Country 3 on the Game Boy Advance with the Enchanted Riverbank there, that so far, I think has been my favorite on the episode. I th- I love the way that hit in the headphones obviously I make I make no hidden I, I, I don't hide the fact that I smoke weed so I usually always get high before these episodes and I always <laughs> like to see. Which one really hits the best in terms of like the vibe? And that was mm-hmm. it. That was it for the episode this week. <laughs> I'll be interested to
1: see how the uh, the next three tracks do with that. But um, but oh, yeah,
0: dude. this one that's uh, good stuff. Yeah, this one was
1: really really nice, and it showed uh, David Wise one of the things that he brought to the Donkey Kong Country soundtracks that really made them stand out was his ability to mix that sort of ambient like nature sound with the music that he was bringing to to the level and. And this is just like you said you could tell this was a water track even if um it hadn't been named enchanted river
0: it's just the like the it's that bubbly sound Mm -hmm. right like i know that's been talked about on so many different podcasts that cover video game music but that bubbly sound that water tracks tend to have it's so easy to pick them out yeah
1: and there's just something about this that uh you know it, it it sonically it resonates the same way that like water uh gurgling over rocks would it's got that really really just zen sound to it and um i i like uh you and i have talked about how we we don't really super care for the gba um sound chip but this along with games like mother three just this has to be one of the the best soundtracks on on the system
0: i 100%. It's hard to believe it's definitely this a came standout. out of a GBA. <laughs> it's a standout. And I love that we got new stuff, you know, composed by David Wise for Donkey Kong Country 3 with the Game Boy Advance port that wasn't just, you know, completely just remixing everything that's been done before. Right. Yeah.
1: It was, um, you know, I, I was... I was impressed with um, Eveline Fisher, later Eveline Novakovic's work on Donkey Kong Country 3 uh, for the SNES. But I was also, I was glad that Wise got to come back and do do the third part of the series that he really pioneered for Rare. Um, yeah, it was, it was a nice the, touch. The evolution of that sound.
0: It was a nice touch, now, for sure.
1: And then we get into back-to-back Battletoads. Um, yeah, I like that. And I... I enjoyed Battletoads well enough on the NES. Um, when I put in a code of infinite lives, I could I could get through it fine. <laughs> um, I actually did memorize the pattern. Noticing
0: a trend here, Bedroth. Noticing a trend. I have
1: no shame, man. Uh, if when a game gets to a point where I'm, I'm I'm having less fun with it than I feel like I should, uh, you know, I do something that might help me have a little more fun. You know, I'll use. A... Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I have no issues with that.
0: I tell people that all the time. Like. If you need to put a game on easy, put a game on easy. Like why well, I was telling Sev on last week's max level, if you need to enable the in-game cheats to turn on invincibility to get through the game for Infernax, do it. Like, yeah, it and doesn't I mean, matter. Just have fun with the game.
1: Really- they they predicted what games eventually would do anyway because now a lot of games you can just turn on easy mode and uh, it, it does what the game genie used to do for you. So, but I actually had memorized the pattern in the um, you know the racing segment and I knew which one of the walls you had to run into so that you could warp a few levels ahead. So <laughs> <laughs> it was it was fun and um, but when I went back and listened to it I was kind of disappointed the music on the NES just doesn't sound. It doesn't hold up to me. I don't think the NES was really quite capable for the particular type of sound that Wise wanted to bring to it. Um, the Game Boy got closer, but then when I found the Genesis soundtrack, I never even knew that Battletoads got ported to the Genesis, um, but when I found the Genesis soundtrack it really, really hit for me. And I haven't heard a whole lot of people bring the Wookie Hole to a uh, podcast before. So um, everybody kind of focuses on level 1 or on the um, uh, level 3, which again is the, the one with the racing. And um, this one, level 2, kind of gets lost in the dust a little bit. But it's got this really cool sound. It's got, uh, you know, in the Wookie Hole, you're descending down this uh, this tunnel and you can use the rope to, like, push off from the wall and kill enemies and stuff. And this was a level where, if you were good enough, you could juggle these crows that would come down at you. And you could bounce them off the wall and juggle them and really rack up the lives that you would need to get sort of the next level.
0: <laughs> and I like how the music takes the, the fact that you are descending down the Wookiee Hole... You hear that in the music with some of the fade outs and like the sounds yeah. that you're getting in the sounds background. sounds like it's echoing for sure. It sounds like it's echoing and like it's going down a hole. Mm-hmm. It's really freaking cool. It is, yeah. It's really super cool. Yeah. And something about the Genesis, man, like I know we were talking about that while we were listening to the particular track, but something about the Genesis chip just I tend to prefer Genesis soundtracks over their counterparts if they're on, like, a Super Nintendo or an NES or anything like that. Now, there are certain, you know, tracks or soundtracks that I do prefer the SNES version, but more often than not, I tend to gravitate toward the Genesis just because of the way that that sound chip sounds, and I I just feel like it sounds more raw, which I always tend Mm -hmm. to like.
1: And that's another topic that that might be fun, is to, to compare things like that sometimes. Um, a lot has been made, I think, of the differences between the, the SNES and Genesis versions of the Street Fighter II soundtrack in particular. And um, that is a good baseline for people wanting to listen to the different strengths. I think the Genesis with the FM synth, really, it does drums and bass particularly well, Uh, whereas the samples on the SNES, you're kind of limited to the fidelity, not just of the samples themselves, but of what the SNES hardware could do. And if you didn't have somebody like Tim Fallin who could homebrew stuff that would work even better than it was designed to, (laughs) um, you know, you you were limited, essentially, in what you were able to do. Right. But... uh, But...
0: But still great sounding regardless
1: absolutely and as as heard on the uh, next track um when david wise composed the uh, the title theme and brought it to the snes for battletoads double dragon the ultimate team um really rocking tune kind of a classic snes really rock, rock in tune <laughs>
0: and oh it's so good
1: yeah um i just mentioned that genesis did drums better in a lot of ways but i really like the drums on this one um and uh, that that classic NES uh, NES guitar sound, SNES guitar Dude, sound. Dude, it's
0: it's so good. Like, it's such a classic theme. But yeah, the SNES did do guitar samples way better for the most part. For the most part.
1: Um, It's an acquired taste. I know a couple of guys online who just really don't like SNES guitar and even like amazing classic soundtracks like Mega Man X, they just really can't get into because they can't get over like specifically the Capcom guitar sound, which did have its own flavor for sure. Um... And then you hear stuff like you know Konami in uh, Contra Three, um, but then you know Rare with uh, this one and with um, Killer Instinct also kind of brought its own its own flavor to the to the field. And um, th- did you uh, you said that you rented this game on one? Yeah, platform never or owned
0: it. I did rent it, so I never did beat it back in the day. Uh, I remember it not being as difficult as the you know the other Battletoads were. Definitely not, but. Yeah. I just never did finish it back in the day. I didn't finish it in the weekend that I rented it, and I never rented it again Uh, for whatever reason.
1: Yeah, I I ended up... I rented this on... I think I rented it on the NES at first, and um, just really had a whole lot of fun with it. Ended up buying it on the NES, and then I also ended up getting it on the Genesis for some reason. I don't know why I ended up with two versions of it, but both (laughs) of them were a lot of fun, and uh, it was really cool, because the Battletoads still did their over-the-top, like... You know, fist turn into anvil type thing. Um, the Double Dragons did not, but they did do these kind of over-the-top moves, like um, you could stomp on enemies after you knocked them down in this game, and instead of stomping on them, what what the Lees would do is they would jump up and do like a Macho Man-style elbow drop on the enemy, and it was just <laughs> so much fun. These games were just, ah, they, they, were, they were a good time. I liked them a lot. They were a blast to
0: play through, and, and I mean, that, just look at the resurgence of the beat-em-ups now, and like you know, River City Girls and how many of that we're getting now. Like, mm-hmm. it's so cool. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, but I absolutely love. Uh, it. Of
1: anything in the Battletoads formula, I think that Battletoads Double Dragon is is the most fun and just really kind of a hidden gem among all the em ups that were happening around this time. I, w- I would love to see this game come back.
0: I wonder if it ever would. That's an interesting thought. I mean, both Double Battle Dragon and hasn't Double been Dragon around is, in a long time. Uh, Right? Me I mean they had the they had well, how long has it been let me see what was, was, was the last um, was it neon no there was one since right yeah there was another one since
1: then I'm looking it up right now uh,
0: because Battletoads obviously just had the remake recently so that is theoretically possible Double Dragon 4 was in 2017
1: okay so 2017 five years not to the same year the switch came out so I would say that's still recent and, um, and that
0: was a fifty on Metacritic, forty nine for the PS4 version. Oh, that's so sad. I remember. I remember that didn't get reviewed very well. I remember that actually.
1: Well, and I, from what I've heard, I didn't hear a whole lot about um, about Battletoads uh, when it came out. The the resurgence. Um, how did it
0: do? It was it was enjoyable. Like I did enjoy the remake, but it wasn't nearly as good as. Um, you know, as, as it was back in the day. I don't know what it's sitting on. Let me see here. What's it sitting at right now? Xbox One version is at 72 on Metacritic. So, okay. So, better than Dragon 4, but, uh, average, yeah. yeah, definitely better, <laughs> but still not super amazing. But I mean, that's really sad. It it's, was definitely it was definitely a better take than than I think people were expecting. But it didn't have this much lasting appeal. And, and nobody's still nobody's playing it at this point.
1: Double Dragon 4 was developed by Arc System Works, which usually does a good job with stuff. So um, that's really kind of disappointing. But um, yeah, you know, we'll see. You never know. Um, still very different know. companies these days. So maybe 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 that's
0: what they need. Maybe they need Battletoads and Double Dragon back together. <laughs> to get like an 80 or above on Metacritic and OpenCritic, maybe that's what needs to happen. Maybe so, <laughs> maybe so. Maybe we can make, maybe we can will that into existence at this point.
1: Um, I almost went with a track from Battletoads on the arcade. Have you ever played that version? Oh
0: no, I've not. I've listened to the soundtrack, but I've not played
1: it. I I heard somebody talking about this recently on um, on a different podcast. I don't remember which one. Um, apparently, the arcade version of Battletoads is um a lot more violent. You, you get like enemies exploding into guts on Ooh. on this one. Um, and uh, I'm
0: sure Frank has experience with the arcade version. And it's
1: apparently also um, it's really hard, um, kind of in the vein of Battletoads, but uh, and plus it was an arcade, so it was signed a bunch of quarters. But um, It was apparently a a really decent beat-em-up. People put it on the same level as, like, Turtles in Time and the Simpsons Simpsons arcade game. And uh, it was... I never got to play it. It wasn't widely released, but I would really like to... um, really like to find it it looks like it was actually emulated in rare replay when that came out on xbox one a few
0: years back oh interesting that's part of game pass i think okay
1: so yeah looks like you might you might have some access to it then
0: i have to check that out yeah might have to check that out so we'll have to uh we'll have to see might be fun I think I have it installed on the Xbox still, so we'll have to see. Very cool. Um, All right, well, we have still one block to get to. This block is a little different. I do have a track, as mentioned earlier, from Viva Pinata, Pocket Paradise. But then I couldn't narrow down between two tracks from Tengami. Did you say you listened to the soundtrack, or you stayed away from it? I did listen to the Tengami soundtrack,
1: and I know for a fact that the the third track we're about to listen to was on my shortlist to possibly bring,
0: so... It's so good. So let's go ahead. We're going to listen to these last three. Badroth and I will be back to close the episode out right after that. Starting out this block, you'll be taking a listen today from Viva Pinata Pocket Paradise, released September 8th, 2008, composed by David Wise. Coming up next is Crimson Leaves from Tengami, released February 20th, 2014, composed by David Wise. Up next is Into the Light from Tengami, released February 20th, 2014, composed by David Wise. Coming back in, we are talking about the day theme from Viva Piñata Pocket Paradise that did come out on September 8th, 2008 on the Nintendo DS. I loved the original Viva Piñata and Viva Piñata Trouble in Paradise. Now, I don't really have a ton of experience with Pocket Paradise, but something about this particular track when I was going through the Viva Piñata stuff um, that he, you know, specifically worked on, I like again how some of the other tracks we played earlier, like you mentioned the Sesame Street one two three when we were listening to it, and even to an extent like the main theme from ukulele, he's just got this way of making something very simple and very happy
1: <laughs> yes yeah very much it's so. so well done and I think we we hear that a lot and I, and some of that may come from his roots on the NES when he was you know, you're limited to fewer instruments. You have to do something a little more simple, but do as much as you can with it. And he really took that on into, uh, into some of this other, other work, even that last one that we heard, you know, the melody is really simple, but he keeps coming back to it and doing new stuff with it. So
0: absolutely. I do hope we see another Viva Pinata game. I don't think that franchise should fade away into obscurity. Like I think it was a good concept, and I think it would actually do really well if brought back in the right way. Especially if it wasn't just locked to Xbox or PC. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. if they like they did with Pocket Paradise here, releasing it on the DS. If they did release Aviva Pinata, putting it on the Switch, which I think would have a much bigger audience for a game like this. Oh, yeah. It might actually do really well for Microsoft. It might really do well.
1: It's it's like a perfect Switch game. Um, and, you know, we're right in the uh, the sweet spot, I think, for the Target demo on Switch as well. Um, 100%. And... Yeah, just uh just really cool. And I think I feel like a lot of people might have might have missed this. Um, it wasn't a big flashy game like some of the other ones that were coming out around that time. And so it would be really cool to see see this, like you said, to see this franchise get a little more attention.
0: Yeah. So hopefully Microsoft doesn't forget about it. I know they are, you know, doing some crazy stuff over there now and making some big moves. So we'll have to see what they decide to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But the last two tracks in that block there were from Tengami, which came out on iOS originally February 20th, 2014. It hit the Wii U on November 13th, 2014. It's since been released on PC and Android as well. This is a Japanese style pop-up book adventure puzzle solving game, more or less. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'd never heard of this game. Like, I knew of it but I really didn't give it much attention until we started prepping for this episode. i never even listened to the soundtrack. So I pulled it up because I wanted something different from David Wise, and I listened to the entire thing, and I was blown away. Same. like yeah. Hearing his take on a lot of Japanese instrumentation and just Japanese in general, Like it's so beautiful. And I had a really hard time picking between both crimson leaves and into the light i didn't know which one to choose so i left them both on the episode they're both so good
1: (laughs) they are and i really like these for different reasons uh you mentioned um exploring the uh, the japanese instruments and in crimson leaves he definitely does so it's crimson leaves is a really nice blend of japanese and western sounds and a lot of what he's doing with the instruments here with the... Uh, I think that's a shamisen, the, the string instrument that's a little bit more prominent. Uh, sounds a little bit like a Japanese banjo. Um, yeah. And then he has both Japanese flute early on, but then later on, the more classical Western-style flute, uh, you hear violins come in toward the end with some some sweeping chords that are really... They, they really sound like, again, what you would hear in like Western cinema, things like that, with John Williams and such and just a, just a really, really cool blend of styles there. And then Into the Light is just a gorgeous track. That one, I think, may be my track of the show. Um, it's just the, the blend it's, of the guitar and the so synth. It's
0: so good. It's so good. I know you said you had it on your short yeah. list, man. And, and it, if, if you would have had it, I would have let you take it. But <laughs> it's so good. Like, oh my God, it hits so good. It's just,
1: yeah, and just that simple motif. It's hard that, to, it's uh, hard,
0: it's hard to say anything more. Like it's just, yeah, I would have to say it's probably my favorite on the episode as well in terms of just like of what we played, but man, it's so good. As
1: much as I love so much of what, um, you know, what I hear from video game music and what makes me such a big fan of the genre. It's still very rare in any genre that you come across like a perfect piece of music And I would put this into that category. This is just a it's it's so great. It's um, possibly the best single piece of music that David Wise has composed. It's really, really good stuff.
0: That's an interesting topic to have. and And I would say that I would probably agree that it's up near the top of like some of his most stellar work. Do I think it's better than some of, like, his most popular on Tropical Freeze? Or, yeah, like Tropical Freeze. You know, Donkey Kong and, and Country 1 or 2? Even the 2? classic, like, know. Aquatic
1: ambiance and um, Forest Interlude and uh, St- There's Sticker a Rush lot Symphony. of Aquatic
0: ambiance in this particular track, if you listen to it, it.
1: It's it's really, that's what I think elevates it for me. It's like, uh, it's with modern instruments, it, with uh, just th- these, obviously, these better sounding sounds. Um, but just an evolution of that simple atmospheric formula and it just it takes you away and it's David Wise at his best.
0: Absolutely man and it's the best way to put it. That's literally the best way to put it and I'm glad that that ended up being the closeout for the block and the last track that we're playing here before we close the episode out like it's literally the cream of the crop in terms of what we played
1: (laughs) I guess that's what I'll say. If it's not his best piece of music then it's a piece of music he composed when he was at his best. I'll say that (laughs) <laughs> and, but again, I mean, to your points, the the track we're going to be playing out with, it, it's in the same vein. It's just a really, really pretty, um, simply composed, but just really nostalgic track. And uh, um, thank you for letting me play it. I, I feel like it's a feel like it's a really good closeout track.
0: <laughs> yeah, you've taken the closeout this week. So, so what are we closing out with here? We're going to be listening to the credits concerto
1: from Donkey Kong Country. This is, of course, the end credits from um, possibly, you know, wise's most famous um, soundtrack on, uh, on the SNES, the original Donkey Kong Country.
0: Yeah. And it's good credits music, man. like we talked about with Viva Piñata and like we mentioned with several of the other tracks on the episode, it's simple. There's not a ton going on, but man, it's so good. Yeah and in its way it's, it's just a nice melody.
1: It, it it sounds like Donkey Kong Country and it's it's right up there with uh, great credits music from the SNES like Mario World and um a Link to the Past and Mega Man X and uh earthbound and just it's it's a really really great piece of credits music and it seems to get overshadowed by some of the other stuff on the system and even by other stuff on its own soundtrack and so i'm really happy to be able to bring it to this episode
0: yeah and it's a, it's a, it's not super long only about a minute and 55 seconds so good closeout piece and a nice, chill way as to, uh, you know, a lot. I think a lot of the tracks we played today were super chill. I think David Wise does a lot of chill music, which I obviously appreciate. For sure. Yep.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, this is a great way to close it out, man. And this was a fun composer appreciation. I'm glad we finally got to sit down and really focus on David Wise. Like I said, I know we've played a ton of his music on the episodes over past weeks and months and years. But we've never done a complete episode of just his music, so this was fun.
1: Yeah, I, I really enjoy these episodes. I mean, if it's not obvious, since I did a whole season of them last year on, on my podcast, uh, really enjoy getting to dig deep into a composer's uh, library and and getting to celebrate them. Since I mean, they're really the whole reason why we have you know this little little subsection of pop culture anyway
0: absolutely man so i mean it's definitely nice to show appreciation that's why these are called composer appreciation episodes but to as many of these individual composers as we can i know we've gone through several already and i mean we still have at least on the on the short list i mean i'm looking at over 30 names still of people that we can still do deep dives into (laughs) (laughs) of
1: course yeah um, there's so many uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but have you done Noriyuki
0: Iwadari yet?
1: Yes. Oh, okay, okay, cool. He's a really good one. We
0: have. We we did, uh, I think we did Noriyuki Iwadari, I want to say in either 2018 or 2019. And
1: what's crazy is, I know I've listened to that episode because at some point or other I've listened to the whole backlog. I, I did catch up, so um, when you've done so many though, it's, <laughs> it's easy to lose track, but
0: It's it's hard to keep track. But like, my, my spreadsheet, my, my internal tracking is all over the place. But uh, eventually, once we exhaust everybody for like a part one, I mean, event, we'll, we'll start swinging around and doing part twos for these composers. Like, that's definitely on the list.
1: <laughs> and hey, but whoever you've got coming up next quarter, I'm I'm excited for what we're going to talk about.
0: Yeah, we've got some good composers lined up for the rest of the year. I try to space it out. I try to do, you know, not just all Japanese composers or not just all Western composers. So it's a mix so it'll be fun we're going to focus on a Japanese composer in June so that'll be a lot of fun very cool very cool but uh, I think that'll bring us to the close of the episode this week so we do want to thank everybody for sticking with us and listening to another episode of BG Mania made possible of course by RPGera.com if you like video game music and more importantly you like us and you want to help us grow the show check the description box for ways you can do just that including a link to our Patreon and of course our Discord server where you should join in and partake in the festivities in there it is fun. We did get uh, Jeff, right? Jeff joined the Discord. Yeah,
1: Prof. Jeff, my good buddy. <laughs> shout out to him. Yeah,
0: shout out to him. I don't know if he listens to BG Mania, but uh, shout out to him if, he's, if he does.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure he's uh, he's jumping on. And um, yeah, I'm always excited to uh, see somebody else in Discord. I think he um, he brings a lot of fun stuff to, to my channel. So um, I think he'll fit right in. Um, do you want to let everybody know I'm going to be absent for a couple of weeks? The family and I are taking our first really big family vacation. We're driving to Orlando to take the kids to Disney World for their first time. And um, it's going to be fun, it's, man. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun uh, taking five kids. You know, it's going to be it's going to be a lot. But we're we're really making we're going to be there for nine days. So we're definitely spending the time and we've been saving up for this for a long time. So we're we're pumped.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun for you. I'm excited for you. Guys. And when we get back, we're going to
1: be we're going uh, to have a, a timely episode that I'll be primed and ready to talk about. So
0: <laughs> I know I'm so excited. It's perfect timing. We'll save it. We won't spoil sure. it, but it's perfect timing. It'll be a lot of fun. But in between the weeks you're gone, I will have focuses on two new releases, which will be a lot of fun. Horizon Forbidden West and Elden Ring. I'm excited so, uh, to hear uh, Stay, tu- about stay those. tuned for those. Yeah. yeah. I have a lot to say and a lot of fun music to play for those two episodes. But taking us out of this particular episode, we're going to be taking a listen to the Credits Concerto from Donkey Kong Country. Again, this released on November 21st, 1994 on the Super Nintendo, composed, again, as everything on the episode was today by David Wise. Keep the music playing and keep it loud.